Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel. Arthur Black is on his way to Kathmandu at the moment. Uh, so today I am sitting down with a couple of distillers and distillery owners here in Indianapolis, uh, Matt and Mason Lamping. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for checking us out. So we are sitting in your bottle room, tasting room uh, at Eighth Day Distillery. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty new to, to the city. So. We are. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about the place. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. So yeah, like you said, Ed, we're sitting here in the bottle shop cocktail bar of the distillery. This has been six months in the making, really. We've been shaking cocktails for six months. We've been distilling for a better part of two years. So when we first launched Eighth Day Distillery, it was all kind of distribution only. So we're in about 150 bars and restaurants, more locally here in Indianapolis. Uh, we do have some outlaying kind of distribution into greater Indiana, but a lot of our focus has just been Indianapolis itself. Yeah, I was uh, snooping around in the back here with you before we got going today, and I saw some bourbon, um, and I asked you if the, like that was the intent, if that was the first thing you did as soon as you got rolling, and it damn near was, right? Yeah, it was, it was pretty much the first thing we did after we dialed in our rum recipe. So uh, we kind of started with some clear spirits, um, get that rum recipe out there and get it going to start making some money, sure. um, but also wanted to put some bourbon away. We're kind of just north of what most most people consider the bourbon capital of the world is Kentucky. Yeah, but, I consider uh, Kentucky local. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when, when I travel um, to see family in Thailand or whatever, I try to bring bourbon with me. I mean, I consider that, you know, and the, and the global kinda, scale of things, yeah, it's local. For you sure. Know? <laughs> and it, it seems like it's kind of like the most spi the spirit that most, at least the patrons that have been here, understand the most. When we talk to them about rums or gins, some of them have all had a bad experience with rum or gin. Oh, man, I Either know. high school or college, uh, it's right? It's always, uh -huh. yeah. It's always a handle of Ron Rico or something, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a I rum. I drink two liters of Captain Morgan, and I don't <laughs> like, you know, no kidding. Yeah, exactly. I'm just, uh, and then a lot of people, too, they don't understand a, a full-flavored rum, either. So that's what's fun about inviting guests in and having them here and be able to do a little bit of rum flight or rum tasting with them. And they're like, wow, this is actually rum? And it's like, well, that's the way rum should taste like. Yeah, so, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, Matt, uh, is that you guys, so you said you rolled out with clear spirits, unaged spirits, to obviously have, buy yourself mm -hmm. time because you don't have enough time to age stuff, uh, which everybody has to do uh, when you're opening these small craft distilleries, but the product I, I typically see launched is like white dog whiskey or uh, vodka, sometimes a mm -hmm. gin, um, but I think more often than not, it's either like unaged whiskey or or uh, a vodka, and you guys launched out with a, a rum, which is like how I connected with you a couple years ago when you started production, because mm -hmm. it was like, cool, you're making something I drink right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. And the, it was kind of, a, it was a conscious decision, actually. Uh, as you mentioned, most people are doing like a white dog or a vodka, and us, we wanted to do more of a full flavored spirit right off the bat. We don't necessarily care to drink vodka or white dog ourselves, so why sure, spend yeah. the time and money to try to make a product that uh, us as producers or business owners don't get passionate about. Well, there's all a lot of pedigree. Do you have some notes there, Mason? He's, <laughs> he's just standing here with the microphone. <laughs> he used to be back there making the making the booze that we're drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, usually yeah. not up front too much. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're getting ready to be in a snowpocalypse here. I think all week, so we'll, uh, you might have plenty of time to be in production all week. <laughs> but no, mm -hmm. it's cool because we were chatting about how important uh, rum has been to like the history of the United States and. Mm -hmm. um, I, I always, uh, you know, lament the fact that we just don't have more uh, domestically produced drums because it used yeah. to be super, super important. You know, there's mm -hmm. like, I think Wayne Curtis quoted in his book, um, 
and a bottle of rum that like in what 1760s we had like over 200 rum distilleries in Boston area alone. Right, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, just the whole East Coast was kind of rum distilleries with all the the Caribbean sugarcane and molasses that was coming up. And I don't think a lot of people realize that of the history of actually what rum did to the East Coast back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you are um, getting your molasses um, from a sugar plantation here in the United States, right? You're not getting Caribbean? Correct. Mason? Yeah. From yeah. Louisiana. From Louisiana. That's yeah. cool. Yep. So there's a lot of sugar cane uh, uh, production and, and sugar production. Big in. time. Yeah. That kind of founded Louisiana. Oh, right really? That way. Didn't found it, but For sure. it was a crop that came over. They didn't know they could grow. Okay. And they discovered they could. And the, all the plantations and a lot of the economy was founded on sugarcane. So you've been down there to talk with these folks. I mean, yep. you're not just doing the email like, hey, send us some molasses no, samples. Down, yeah. Even went to the uh, few of the plantations. The That's old cool. Slave what is farms. the name of What is the name of the uh, place where you're getting it? Uh, or the like super secret? What is it? Lula. Lula. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like or is it super secret? And now now we're fucked. Everybody yeah. knows the recipe. <laughs> that, yep. Can't say anymore. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. I've never actually um, been down to anything domestically. I mean, I've been across the Caribbean, but I've never seen any of the like sugarcane plantations here in in the U.S. That'd be real cool to check it out. Mm -hmm. I recognized immediately your your shipping containers that where the molasses gets shipped in on. So, like. Those are pretty obvious. Seeing those have been driving around all over the place. Yeah, yeah. There's no mistaking them when you walk back there with three thousand pounds of molasses and a big black tote. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have a couple of different incarnations of the rum. You're also doing uh, gin, and you've got whiskey, as you said. But uh, you're drinking absinthe, right? Is that, uh, is that yours? Not least yet, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, because I, I was like, was scoping the table when you when you went to uh, adjust the temperature in here. So you guys are going to be doing an absinthe. Uh, it's still, uh, still in research and development. Okay, yeah. that's uh -huh. cool. Yep. Yep. What are you looking for when you say you're doing R&D? Like, what, what are you... Are you looking for a flavor profile you're trying to hit and you haven't been able to hit it yet? Or Somewhat. you're just still it's, fucking with it? <laughs> yeah, I've been messing with it for a while and it just takes time to get the flavor profile, mouthfeel, everything about it. How does that process work for you? So when you're setting out to you know, produce something, are you looking at other producers and trying to... And just like, I guess, uh, the analogy is like a cover band, right? Like, or when you're a musician, you start learning somebody else's songs because you don't really know what your own style is yet, you know? And so through that, you kind of figure out who you are. Is that part of the process? I mean, I don't know. Find that... stuff you like and then tweak it to your own liking. Right on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've got you're a big absinthe drinker? Uh, I like to consume some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see the glass in front of me. Right? I was gonna say, like, I mean, if I were in your shoes, I probably wouldn't be the next thing on my agenda. I, I enjoy absinthe in very, very small amounts, like, mm -hmm. like drops. You know? <laughs> I don't make cocktails with like full ounces of, of absinthe, but that's why I asked that because it's, I mean, it's a pretty niche. Uh, a spirit to go into, and that's pretty cool. I'm I've like, got a weird palate sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's good that you're making booze then. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of back to that to the thing where we said earlier, it's like, why make something that we necessarily don't enjoy or like to consume ourselves? Like, we can't get really passionate about something we don't love. So, um, Wow, that absinthe uh, smells awesome. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Like, you might, uh, you might convert me over. Again, I've, I'm better about it than I was in, in past years. Like, there mm -hmm. were times in my life where I just couldn't even smell the stuff, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's actually really, like, deep smelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got um, a lot of herbals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, fresh herbs, and it's 
Yeah, yeah. really floral. It's, that's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really, uh, really pretty, guys. Yeah, thank um, you. Cool. I got to try something that's not even available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look for this yeah, nowhere right. because it's not out yeah. yet. <laughs> not quite, but but soon. So you, know. you guys are real young. Um, so I, I know I sound like I'm 80, but anybody listening to this, um, I mean, you're you're still what? You're Matt. You're 10 years younger than I am. Like, yep. you're, you're, mm-hmm. and, and Mason, exactly. you're only what 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you guys are pretty young. So what was the you told me in 2014 you had kind of already started going down to the plantation and, and checking things out. So at what point did this become an idea to like do a distillery, especially in Indiana where breweries seem to be like the, if you want to get into the business, that seems like the easiest way to go about it. Sure. Uh, well, with looking back a little bit, I think before we actually started this distillery, brew was always kind of like the thing we wanted to do because we brewed at home for quite a while before we even distilled anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, I don't think either of us really had the kahunas to jump off the, the corporate path and go do a brewery. But um, Way back when you were like 24. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then 2014 came around, uh, started sitting down and writing a business plan for a distillery itself and what it would really look like here in Indianapolis and started visiting locations throughout Indianapolis. We're mm-hmm. both from Indianapolis. We knew we wanted to put a distillery in Indianapolis, but also had to find the right spot to make something that we're making a, a spirit with and have more of a production side of the business before we even had the cocktail bar portion of it too. Right. And you mentioned so. that this area that we're sitting in now has only mm-hmm. been here for what, about six months? Six months. Yeah. yeah. So you've mm-hmm. been in operation for production only up until that point. Yeah. And really all the red tape to open up a distillery. So uh, we talked about 2014 was when we started writing a business plan and like looking at producer suppliers uh, and uh, equipment. But we really actually didn't even distill a drop of alcohol legally until 2016. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, what's mm-hmm. that process look like? I know there's a lot of people out there that kind of dream of like having their own brand and their own, you know, uh, label or line or whatever. Um, and I think it's like, it's like, you know, I'm in restaurant and bars business and mm-hmm. people dream of that. And you're like, no, trust me, you don't want to know the reality of it, man. So like, I mean, what's it, what's it look like? You said there's red tape and stuff. But I mean, what do you have to go through? I, I have no idea what that process looks like. Sure. So just kind of high level is um, it felt like we we're signing our life away a little bit um, just to get the federal license. So it's not just like opening a a business here in the state where you go through state licensing and all, but uh, federal spirits are federally regulated. We pay a federal tax on everything we sell here too, and a local state tax as well. Sure. So before we could even submit what I'll call like the Bible to the federal government, it's about an inch, inch and a half thick of paperwork <laughs> about where we lived, what we did, our hair color, it seemed like. Uh, but we had to actually have a location, a premise to say this is where we would actually be producing. So before so you we had could, to sign a lease before you could actually get a license. You have to sign a lease before you could even start the process to get a license. Jesus. So it's not like, hey, I've got a lease signed, give me my license. It's, hey, I've got a lease signed, here's my paperwork. Right. Will you give me the license? And that's, what was that, a six month timeline? That's a little bit scary. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got your life already on committed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So we had a, a space, a, a lease. Do you have a backup we plan where you can be like a giant flower shop in case you didn't get it? <laughs> I guess we weren't that smart. Yeah, we we sell only botanicals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, looking back, we could have made money that first six months doing something else. <laughs> right. yeah. Come get all your dried juniper. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we did use that time to build out. So back in the production area where you we were a little earlier, we did all the plumbing, the electric, the steam lines, kind of ourselves. So that timeline. Uh, before we got really going, uh, it was good for us because we did a lot of that mechanical work uh, in parallel. Yeah, no, that's mm-hmm. always really cool, especially when you're hands-on. I know that uh, we did an earlier um, interview with Mark Schwartz at Cannonball mm-hmm. Brewing, and he did the same thing. I mean, while he was waiting on approval, 
he just built everything by hand. Yeah. Once he got his approval on it, then he was able to bring in contractors and speed it up. But at that point, there was no hurry. Right, exactly. No permit, no hurry. Save a little bit of cash. Sure. And, yeah. Do so what you, you guys built a lot can. of this in here yourself. I know you said you, the still, and we were talking about this a little bit, and I want you to talk more about it, uh, about you are very much a supporter of local businesses. You, um, you're constantly talking about your local, your product is local. You're an Indiana distillery. You're sourcing from the United States, all that. But you even took that to the next step with the still. Oh, absolutely. So all of our production equipment, you just not the still itself. It's like, Hey, we can't talk and, uh, about just being a local business, utilizing local farmers like we do, or, uh, we have to go to Louisiana to get our sugar cane. You don't sure. grow that here in Indiana. But also when you look at the, the big capital expense into a distillery is, the distill and all the fermentation and distillation equipment. Um, and that even comes all from the U.S. where some other And people that's relatively rare at this time. I mean, for, for small distilleries, right? Because, I mean, there's a pretty, uh, like, significantly large barrier to entry, you know, uh, with, with the cost of opening a, a business like this. And yeah. so uh, one of the places that a lot of people cut costs would be to get stills from overseas. I mean, mm -hmm. Are they buying them from Asia or the Caribbean or... Just used or all of all the above? Probably all the above, really all the above. Um, but us, where our still comes from 100 miles south of here in Louisville, Kentucky. It's the same still manufacturer that's been there for 100 years um, that's doing it for big and small. So it was awesome just to be able to drive down there and the service and support that they yeah, offer. Yeah, um, Vendome. Is, yeah, Vendome yeah, Brass and Copper saw the, uh, the the plate right on the front of the still, mm -hmm. which... Uh, for anybody that's been down, we were talking about it a little earlier. Like you don't always get to see the stills when you go to the big boys, but um, Angels Envy walked you right past their their column still, and they've got the the metal plate there on the front. Yep. It's, and so that's that's immediately where I was like, hey, wait a minute, I know that producer. Yeah, and they've been doing it forever. They're good at what they do. So we did have a, a slight little issue with our still at the very beginning, and they came, picked it up, uh, the column part of it, took it back to Louisville, Kentucky, and it came back in a day or two days. So it's insane. Had it back. So we wouldn't necessarily get that service and support if we didn't do right. local, like down to the roots of our business. Right. So it was, it's just what we think is right as well. So, so you, you started off with the rum and you've got a couple of incarnations of that now, but then you got in, I don't know what your next pair was, but I, I think that I remember seeing it as gin, right? Is that right? That was right. Am I wrong? Yep. Okay. I'm yeah. like, I don't yeah. know. No. I, maybe I'm just making shit up at this point. I don't know. <laughs> no, we launched with our rum first um, back into that early 2017. And then about mid 2017 is when we were actually able to launch with our gin. Uh, the gin just took us a little longer to R&D for... Yeah, what was the what was the hold up there, Mason? Come on, yeah. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to figure no, out. No, it's not. It took six months. So when you are doing your infusion, what's the process you're using for that? Um, now we're going to get into distillation. People, we lost half of the <laughs> listeners right here. But I'm just curious, the the technique you guys are using? Uh, we're doing vapor distillation for okay. everything, so no maceration. Okay, cool. And then just for those of our listeners that don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as you're doing the distillation, the vapors rising up through the column, you're talking about hanging the botanicals. Yeah, we actually yeah. have a gin basket to cool. divert the vapors there you go. through the botanicals, not yeah. soaking them in the still. There we so, go. Yeah. That's the definition. <laughs> yeah. We won't get any more technical than that, I promise. We've had too many episodes we've gotten overly technical lately, so we're going we're gonna to peel that back a little bit. So, But you do, how many gins do you do now? Because I saw a Navy Strength sitting on the shelf. Is that available 
That's not available quite yet. Okay. We just got um, label approval for it. It's in a bottle right now, but we haven't launched it quite yet. Cool. Um, that should come to the market here in the next month or so. Now, is that the same gin as your house gin that's just you're um, proofing it up a little bit, it's, or is it a little bit different? It's the same base, but it's set in a barrel for a year. Oh, a really? bourbon barrel. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yep. What does that bring to the table when you let that age a little bit? Uh, it changes it quite a bit. It ling- brings up a lot more spicy notes to it. Um, Baking spices. Oh, that's nice. But the yeah. same gin. It thank, cuts. You, thank you, Matt, for yeah. handing me a glass. I'm like, I, I'm going to just do this all day. I'm just going to start. Let's talk yeah, about that bottle now. <laughs> now. Let's talk about that bottle. I'm just keep getting samples one after another. I mean, how else are we going to spend the snowpocalypse? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Might as well do it with spirits, Last right? week, they didn't yep. even know the, the, the snow was coming. And yeah. then we got like eight inches. Mm-hmm. And then this week, they've been like, it's going to be terrible. And we woke up and it was raining. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Feels Still like a lives. spring day. I think yeah. it's going to be, I, yeah, no, it was actually warm this morning. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be ice before we go to bed, though. Uh-oh. But yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be going to be in New York here. Actually, when this episode comes out, I am in New York. And uh, hey, it was great to see you guys this afternoon. <laughs> uh, we're coming to you from the future. Yeah. <laughs> it might be snowy by then, then. Oh, man, I hope it's not yeah. snowing in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be cold enough as it is. I didn't exactly think this out, <laughs> you oh. know. Well, it's really cold in Indianapolis. I should go somewhere colder. A little further east. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's been so bad. It's all, I mean, they're a little bit more evened out than we are because we get every every mood the weather has, yeah. you know, as the jet stream messes things with, with the country, so. Well, yeah, you're early next week here in Indiana, it's supposed to be single digits. Yeah, So you might yeah. be going to a warmer climate. Think, or you I might think, be in a warmer climate right now. I think now. we're going to be... Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> right now. In the future. In the future in New York. Um... Yeah, no, there's gonna be a lot of cool episodes coming up. I am gonna, I more intelligently, I'm going to the Rum Festival in uh, Miami in a, in a few weeks. So um, that's gonna be a different story. I've, I've never been like a escape the winter. I need to go to a beach or something kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You're turning I feel, into a I'm feeling now. it this year, yeah. man. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, but it hasn't even been a rough winter, really. Yeah. Maybe it's all those tiki shirts you've been wearing lately. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you gotta wear something. Mm-hmm. So um, when you guys launched your gen, um, you, what was the the kind of impetus behind going to a gin rather than, again, I, I don't want to like keep doubling down on this, but I, I see in this thread that you're, you know, working on only putting out the things that you're drinking, you know, mm-hmm. you have, still at this point, still no vodkas, still no white dogs. So um, following the rum up with the gin. Yeah. So going back to the, the gin itself, like when we were thinking about how we wanted to do it was we wanted to make a gin that went well with gin and tonic. Most people, when you mm. say gin to people, they're like, oh, gin and tonic, right? Uh, but a lot of people think more of a London dry style gin that's in right, itself yeah. its own category and a very mm-hmm. tasty gin. But uh, it always seems like the people that have had a bad experience with gin are typically drawn to that London dry style to have that bad experience. So we wanted yeah. to do more of a uh, what we call a new American style gin. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. It. Um, so in this gin, we're actually only using six different botanicals. Uh, juniper, coriander, and angelic root you see in a lot of different gins, but then we're hand zesting fresh grapefruit, lemon, and ginger into it. So wh- how, what do you see as the definition between a London dry and like, uh, what you, you said, new American, or you, sometimes you see, you see it Western style mm-hmm. or you know modern style. I've seen it. I don't think there's any nomenclature that's stuck on that, but I mean, it's kind of one of those styles that like you know it when you taste it, but yeah. you know, right? Yeah, you know when you taste it or smell it. I think like even on the nose. So what of, would to you? What's yeah. the what would kind of be the breaking? So the, to me, my own palate, I think it's when it's 
you're tasting the gin and then that juniper note sticks through till the end. Mm -hmm. um, our gin that we have on the market right now, you smell the juniper for sure, but then it doesn't stick with you till the very end. The grapefruit, lemon, and ginger, that nice citrusy bouquet comes Ooh, through yeah. into it. But on the so nose- now your brother's doing it out. <laughs> now he's handing glasses of stuff and we have like nine glasses in front of me now. Yeah, super citrusy. And that's one of the things I always love about like kind of the new American styles or Western style gins that are coming through. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, English is the West. I don't know what yeah. I'm talking about, but I've seen that. I've seen that said, but um, yeah, I like that. The citrusy notes are yeah. Because there's grapefruit and yeah, there's yeah, actually like, fresh okay, grapefruit. Yeah, so we're using the peels of grapefruits and lemons in there. That'd make a hell of a gin and tonic. Yeah, it it's, it's super easy. Some gin, some tonic, and go. And then all of our spirits are proofed at 90 right now, or the ones oh, cool. we've tasted so far. Just so, so they're more of a cocktail spirit. A lot of times, if you're proofed at 80 or so and you put it in a cocktail. You're just gonna go away. Right? Well, yeah. And so, is there? Is it just because you're looking for the cocktail spirit, or you're just uh, trying to sell less water? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I'm asking this more so flavor. Like, and, you know, it's a joke, flavor. but it's not because you're mm -hmm. more on the business side and you're more on the distillation side. And so, I know that like you get more of a pure product, obviously, if you're adding less water into the bottle, but you're also selling at a higher proof. So there is a business decision there. Like you know, you're losing. You can't sell water yep. for a little bit extra money, and then you, as the distiller, you know, obviously you want that kind of purity of what you created. So, I mean, which was there a, a meeting where, like, where are we going to prove this? Getting cross-eyed looks at each other. This? I would keep everything high proof if it's up to yeah? me. Yeah, yeah. I like high proof stuff. And yeah. that's where Matt, the business mind, comes <laughs> in. And goes, no, we can't. We yeah, can't. we got to think about the people we're selling it to as well. I mean, we like high proof stuff, but a lot of people aren't quite there yet. So, um, as you see more spirits released from us, it is getting higher and higher proof uh, that we can talk about some of these other ones that we have in front of us. But uh, where does your uh, rum come off the still? Uh, about 162 okay. proof. And that's where you drink it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I you know, it's, bit, it's drinkable. It, it is know? drinkable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, for me is, you know, we obviously are um, on premise, you know, we're selling to the consumer. And I've definitely seen a change as the cocktail wave has taken over, not only like you said, uh, but with higher proof spirits being included in cocktails, but also people are, are getting a little bit more accustomed to drinking a, a higher proof spirit. I don't want to say overproof because there's no direct definition for overproof, but uh, you know, anything over 80, then yeah, obviously it's getting a little bit easier. And I think I attribute a lot of it to the bourbon craze, you know, sure. where people want to oh, get yeah. their, you know, barrel proof this and cask strength this. And, and so, I think that's helped a lot. And mm -hmm. me being a rum geek, you know, I absolutely love my overproof Jamaican rums. Now I just said overproof. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Higher hey, people, people yeah, use it marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but there is definitely a change coming. That's cool. I didn't, I didn't actually even look at any of the proofs on your bottles, and I didn't realize that you were doing that because you're right. I don't. I think most of the craft distilleries in town are proofing it around 80. Uh, I think I could uh, be. Yeah, could be wrong here. Don't, yeah. I, don't, I, don't you, I don't know. Right, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. But it doesn't necessarily drink like a 90 proof spirit either. Like even if to, you didn't pick up on it, that was a little higher than others as well. So it's right. well balanced there. Yeah, too. that's I think the big uh, misperception is that the higher proof is just going to be like fire water and burn and it's going to mm -hmm. hurt your throat. And um, I think it was Richard Seal from Foursquare that said on Facebook a couple years ago, like it's 
alcohol. It's supposed to taste like alcohol. You yeah. know, like that's why you don't so, need to add a bunch of things to cover it up. I mean, it's alcohol. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be that. If you want a cocktail, have a cocktail. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's a great way to put it. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, yeah, I think the, like covering that 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 burn up is just kind of doing it a service. If you want to cover it up, there's ways to do that by mm -hmm. making a daiquiri or a gimlet or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Like, thank but, you. Cheers for like doing like an over. Or, I'm just saying. I don't know, even know where like the it's traditional it. cutoff of overproof. I know the Jamaican overproofs are typically 126. Um, so mm -hmm. I guess maybe that's what we'll yeah. use. We did. Well, we talked about Navy strength earlier yeah, though, because right. you said you're going to do uh, the Navy strength rum, but there is no legal definition of Navy strength or is there you've you've read the two inch Bible so I yeah don't so there is no yeah legal definition but you see a lot of uh, producers that put use the name Navy strength is what mm -hmm. around that 115 mark 115 yeah it's kind of like the I guess the industry standard but no legal standard um, of what a Navy strength really is yeah yeah, I see them often between like 54 and a half to 57 and a half mm -hmm. it's always within that three degrees right there yeah yep. yeah no greater than 115. There's no law out there, though. I mean, you could go to that overproof, quote unquote. Sure, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll call it Navy Strength. But that's an, there's a neat story behind what, how Navy Strength came about. Um, if you or your listeners know, we can go on and talk about it. Yeah. So the, the reason Navy Strength kind of came about and why we've chose to use it, it, it is higher proof in spirit. Is it because of all but, the oceans around here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The all, the, yeah. all the sailors yeah. that are stationed yeah. in Indianapolis. Aye, aye, matey. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but the uh, Navy Strength is actually because back in the day, sailors would get rations, but not everybody on the boat would get rations per se. So they would keep the, the spirit with that gunpowder mm -hmm. um, under lock and key. But if you're spirit, be in the hold, probably in those ships, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. In the yeah. bilge. Yep. So down there, if the spirit were to spill and get on the gunpowder, you would still want the gunpowder to ignite in a time of crisis. So that's where that Navy strength term came about. Okay. You know, was it high enough to still ignite? Okay. That's so interesting. The 115, if you put a match to it, it may ignite a little bit. All right, let's get some matches. I don't know. We probably shouldn't do that. These are brand new tables. Right. <laughs> so now you guys, so I, I guess we've talked a lot about a lot of your spirits that aren't available. So, mm -hmm. I mean, what's the core line of what Eighth Day Distillery is doing? Like, what, what are people going to see out there and, and where can they get it? Um, I mean, usually these are questions I ask at the end of the show, but I, I want to, like, touch on that before I forget because... I, as we walked around today, we got to try some things that just are kind of it's still an R and D, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. You know, I love being part of the uh, the D. The D. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't like the research as much. You know, the development, cool. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's the mm -hmm. other so way around. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like either way. Um, but regardless, I mean, what's the core line? What what what? That can people typically find around? I mean, you're only in Indiana at the moment? Indiana or? only at the moment. And what you'll see around is our rum and our gin. Right now, we haven't released any other products uh, to the market right Just now. Just one rum and one gin? Or yep. you've got... Nope, one rum and one gin. Oh, two wow. Because we've got three rums on the table right yeah. now, so that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, I do take that back. We do have that other rum, the rum we did with a local brewery here called Sun King. So they have a, a spot up in Carmel, Indiana. Yeah, here. we did an interview with uh, the owner of Sun King, Clay Robinson, yeah. uh, maybe about a year 
and a half ago. Yeah, so he was very much part of this uh, R&D that came from actual product, but uh, we did a collaboration with him where we took some of, in short term, some of their beer yeast to make a little uh, different style of rum here that we supplied to them, and we sell out of our cocktail bar bottle shop here at the distillery, but it's not on local bars. Okay, so you can only get it in... You can only get it at Sun King and Carmel or here at the Eighth Day. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's pretty fucking cool. So I guess there's kind of three products out there, but most of the majority of our listeners have came to know us for more of a a rum and gin spot right now um, while we're R&Ding all those other fun things that come out to the market. It's still pretty fast, though. I mean, 2016, Mm -hmm. you know, I know everybody's always in a rush to, like, launch with the full like Spectrum, vodka, gin, whiskey, rum, you know, and I think it's pretty admirable that you guys are are slowing down, making sure you're trying to, you know, do it the way you want it done instead of rushing to market with something that you maybe aren't proud of. I mean, what's the risk there? I mean, when you put out a white dog uh, immediately to try to, you know, get some money into the bank account, and I understand that that need and desire to do that. I can't imagine doing what you guys do for a living, but I mean, what, what is the risk of doing something like that? Going back to how we wanted to start and launch eighth day, it was kind of like, Hey, when we go out to the market, we want to put our best foot forward and we want to actually put out something that we enjoy drinking as well. So we didn't really want to become known as a a vodka or a a white dog place, but Mm -hmm. more of a a producer that's making full flavored spirits and continues to do so. But we're going fat, going slow to go fast later kind of is what we're kind of doing here is, Sometimes when we look back, we'd love to have some more products out on the shelf, but um, it's just taken time to get them right from the beginning before we can put them out there. And consistency for us is a big thing too. We don't want to have different products throughout for our rum and gin, but uh, the same bottle that you picked up a year ago is the same bottle, same flavor that you're gonna have right now. Yeah, that's an issue I've seen with a lot of like small distilleries as you go across the US and different uh, you know uh, areas. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that you know craft distillations still finding its sea legs, you know, to go back to our naval uh, analogies. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I think it's, you know, the consistency has been an issue, um, you know, where I get batch number one and then I get batch number six and they're completely different products. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. Yeah. I've, I've had your product, I think, since before you guys even launched, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think you, you were part of that R time. Or <laughs> yeah, that part D of the R. As well. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the R, the D. Something. I was, that's <laughs> All right. in between. That's right, yeah, because yeah. you guys brought that room in and you asked what I thought of it. That's mm-hmm. right. And we did talk about that. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's been a while. Has it? <laughs> yeah. That was like, what, 2016 or so? Yeah, it yeah. would have to have been, yeah. I guess. Yeah, late 2016. Because we did before, so a little lineage of our cool. Rum. Where's my royalties? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we picked I'm the sure, recipe right. you liked. Yeah, no. right. yeah. <laughs> you picked the wrong one, sir. <laughs> no, that's real cool. We got, like I said, you've got the absinthe sitting next to me. You've got mm-hmm. a naval, or I'm sorry, a navy strength gin uh, in the back. You've got mm-hmm. bourbon sitting around in the back. So mm-hmm. I mean. Are those all still under research? Are you working on recipes, or are you waiting on like label approval? Distribution, I don't, the, the the red tape part of it, you know, yeah. it's all. So with the two that you just mentioned, that Navy Strength Gin and um, Bourbon, we actually have those available through our cocktail bottle shop here, our Bourbon. Oh, cool. You can actually okay. come here and buy a bottle of it. Uh, being a small producer, we don't just have an, barrels you know, sitting away in warehouses. That So right now, we wouldn't be able to keep up with demand, per se, if we did launch to distribution. We just don't have enough to, like, put it sure. out there and um, get get it going. How much yet. production are you guys actually doing at the moment? 
Uh, we're here eight days a week doing production. Yeah, is that, is yeah. that name? I, haven't, I haven't asked about that yet. So every time I I think of the name the the distillery name Eighth Day, I always mm-hmm. think of that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Sixth Day or whatever, like where they were like kept cloning humans. Uh-huh. And I don't know why, because I mean it was just they, that's where it takes you. There right? is no Eighth Day, but it does. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So where does Eighth Day actually come from? Not from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it didn't come from him. He wasn't. <laughs> he was not a founding member. Uh, well, Ed, I think you could attest to this, like just starting a small business that um, you, you always feel like you need a luck, little extra time. You're, you're always on the go, right? Um, but uh, What are you talking about, man? I'm kicking back in New York right now. Is, uh, we're in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a little bit of it too was, so starting this business, at least my personal journey was uh, in the corporate world, people always talked about retiring and going to do what they wanted and have the extra time to spend how they wanted to spend. And here it was kind of a neat lineage to kind of jump off that path and do what we wanted to do um, and not wait for that eighth day, but like do it now while we're still here. So you were you actually came from a corporate background. You didn't because you're like fucking only 27. So <laughs> you haven't even had enough time to have a job job. But you worked corporate before? I did for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was doing the engineering thing for 10 years. Oh, you're an engineer? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I didn't one even of ask them, you about that. Yeah. One of them nerds. So is that what led yep. to like this fascination with like the geeky end of it? But you're not even it's, in the back. You're not even doing the distillation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an engineer too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Both yeah, of you have. Yep. All right. Both of us. Background so. in engineering? Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. So um, where'd you guys yeah. go? school here in town IUPUI okay or here in Indianapolis so yeah, yeah yeah so the producer That's where I've got school. my mm-hmm. my incredibly useful journalism degree yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being the engineering part of it though it's it's fun because we actually get to utilize some of the degree to yeah, an extent yeah, but most real. people wouldn't necessarily think it but uh, when you go in the back there's a lot of just engineering mm-hmm. heat transfer stuff and it's awesome to be able to take something the terroir of a, a, a local product and distill it and like capture the essence of it and there there it is forever what kind of engineering did you guys study mechanical mechanical yep. yeah that's yeah. got to be helpful back there uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> repair your own stuff yeah <laughs> yep. build your own things <laughs> mechanical yeah. for you as well as well yeah nice mm-hmm. yeah so and then we just need to find a chemical engineer and <laughs> uh, i would take over the world huh <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean what are the plans as you guys grow because you know it's I think that's one of the things with small business owners um, I know that we've struggled with is, you know, once the, once you start to get busy, how to scale up. And we never really had a plan in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've just learned everything on the fly and that's not a fun way to learn it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, are you guys prepared for like scaling up the production? Because you have a ton of room here. We're, this is what, almost 7,000 square feet we're sitting in here Yep. and it's not filled to the brim. Like you said, there's no like, you know, Rick's sitting here full of barrels. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what's the, what are the future plans? I mean, you guys are so young. Hell, you're only 27, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to keep making on your Thanks. I'm just like, I'm fucking jealous. I'm 27 <laughs> years old. All I did was just smoke weed and, like, drink shitty booze. And, you know, uh, and now, like, you're making good booze. I'm like, this is not even fair, man. This, this wasn't the world I grew up in, man. <laughs> it's changed a little bit, huh? It has. Much for the better because of guys like you. Yeah. Thank you. But so what's next for us? Um, we kind of, we picked a spot here that we want to call home for a, a while, a long while. Uh, and we have plenty of room to expand production in the back. We have the nice little cocktail bar here up front to show people what we're doing in the back. And we want to be 100% transparent about it. I mean, that's why you have these big, big glass windows and glass doors of actually we could see what's going on and where the spirit that we're consuming on this side of the wall is being made. Yeah, and this is not an aesthetically like designed like production area it's not it's not here for the benefit of anybody sitting in the bottle shop and or the tasting room i mean you're looking back at actual production and 
and guys working. So, uh, I mean, that's cool because I, that's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of the the tourist guide through the distillery, like there's a if we were to use those stills, here's how it would work. Yeah. Um, and so, like actually seeing the process is always always kind of cool. Um, as you expand out, so you are currently located. Um, I, you keep saying the Near East Side. I'm not sure that I consider this the Near East Side. Maybe I'm wrong, I guess. Because um, we're right off Massachusetts Avenue, which we've talked about on the show numerous times. But we're in the more industrial section. In fact, this building is called the Circle City Industrial Complex. Correct. Yep. And so you've got, uh, there's a lot of places inside this mm-hmm. building, right? I mean, who else is stationed here in the, in like as far as beverage people? Some other beverage people here is a Centerpoint Brewing at the end of the building. Right. Um, in the middle here is New Day Craft, their production facility. All right. Yeah. We've yeah. had Brett on the show before uh, yep. talking about uh, his mead and yeah. ciders. So it's awesome just having those two like-minded businesses in this same building. Uh, we share similar equipment. So when our forklift goes down, we just knock on Brett's door and he's so kind, he just brings it down and uh, we get to use it. So it's cool. That's awesome. Um, and then also just um, troubleshooting stuff and talking about it, fermentation science. Uh, everybody in the building or in those two businesses in the building have like minds and it's this little community that's being started to be built. Have there so, been any talks of collaboration between New Day, oh, yes. Centerpoint? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Literally all uh-huh. in the same oh, building. Yeah. <laughs> so that actually the rum you just picked up that we're getting ready to launch mm-hmm. um, a few days after this. So the 26th you'll be able to come into the bottle shop and buy oh, awesome. uh, bottles of it. But uh, that rum there, it's a 95 proof. It's our house rum, just scaled up a little bit on proof. And then it rested in the barrel for about two years. But that barrel that I just mentioned was a New Day cider barrel. So really? Okay, New that's cool. A cider in there for, I don't know if it was a year or so, <laughs> but it was their Johnny Chapman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really mm-hmm. nice one. I'm not a huge cider drinker, but I do love what New Day does because they kind of just hit me in the right spot. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, as much as I like want to talk shit about people that come in and like, I don't like rum or gin because I had a really bad experience in college. Man, I had some hard ciders, oh, you, know? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in, back in those days that like just I linger in memory, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that ciders are really coming back huge as a, uh, as a category. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're flying through some ciders at, at, at a couple of our restaurants. And so, um, but New Day, I think does it right. I think that's probably a, a large part, you know, due to like those craft, I don't know what you call it, cidery. Yeah, I don't know. They call them cider. yeah, cidery. Yeah, yeah. Still, uh, still brewery, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. still fermenting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you were talking about, um, you know, when we walked through earlier, we were talking a little bit about your bourbon, and you were getting ready to do a rye, hundred percent rye whiskey, yep. which is super fucking mm-hmm. cool because we, you guys, just uh, milled grain for that. So, um, do you do all of that in house here? Or do you? How many employees do you have? Right now, we're at the whopping five. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. So we have two full-time staff, Mason and I, and then we have um, an awesome team of three other individuals that help out in the cocktail bar and some production as well. Okay. Um, How many people do you have running the bar? I mean, you're open six days a week? Seven no, days a week? just three right now. So oh, three, Thursday, okay. Friday, Saturday. Yep. Um, oh, okay, cool. Well, today is Saturday, so. Yep. Yeah. So, there are uh, people rolling in any moment. <laughs> any moment in the snowpocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Dimitri Morris is uh, the head up here. So he's the guy that crafts all of our cocktail menus for us, utilizing our spirit. So just keep it small and nimble. This is the team right now. So as like young business owners, um, how do you find it so far? I mean, do you enjoy like kind of, I think that there's the misperception, right? That like you open your own business and you have all this freedom of your schedule. And like, it's usually exactly the opposite. You're, your schedule is 100% work all the time. And so uh, I'm just yeah. kind of curious. I don't often get to sit down and, you know, like with somebody your age that's actually opened these places up. Yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the perception is, yeah, we, we're just off doing what we want all the time, but I feel like uh, maybe this is more home than home right now. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to get a young business off the ground and launching it and go and build a team and a little community behind us and in front of us that we're, where we want to go. Yeah, it's real cool that you've supported locally as much as you have and that you involve people like myself even in like the R&D phase. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it is, it does create those sort of like emotional ties, you know, to a product. Mm -hmm. And of course, we want to see better booze coming out worldwide. You know, yeah. um, obviously me as a rum drinker, most of what I drink comes from the Caribbean. But we talked about earlier, you know, the historical importance of rum in the United States. And like, I would be cool. I'm, there's no reason you can't make a good rum in the United States. You can buy the molasses and ship it anywhere in the world mm -hmm. and it's shelf stable for like ever. Yeah. So <laughs> it is. Absolutely. And then, so the fun part too is it's utilizing a molasses producer here in America. Like we're putting our own little terroir on it, right? So it's going to be slightly different than the Caribbean rums that you're used to drinking as well. Sure. And it's, it's its own stamp of American rum and how it's being made and what we're doing with it. So speaking of American rum, we're going to scooch over to American whiskey. That 100% mm -hmm. rye that you were talking about uh, when we were in the back. Um, I mean, rye had damn near disappeared completely from the uh, conversation even up to as recently as like a decade ago. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the, is that something that you guys drink? Um, because I mean, I, it wasn't even hardly available. That's why I'm asking yeah. because I mean, you say you only make things that you're interested in drinking, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it hasn't really been prolifically available for really that long. Yeah, absolutely, it hasn't. And it, again, t to that little lineage of, yeah, it's something we enjoy drinking. There's not many producers out there that uh, are making rye. Yeah. Uh, I think I just talked to somebody here at a bigger distillery that's just east uh, here in town or here in Indiana that's making about 80% of the rye across the country. So a lot of the other rye producers that you see in a bottle, it's not even necessarily being made by them. Oh, you're talking about MGP? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's yeah, we've, we've talked to them numerous times on the show or about them uh, numerous times on the show. Mm -hmm. I'd love to actually like go down there and like get them on the podcast, mm -hmm. but they're pretty quiet about what they do. And they make a good product. They really do. They, they, I mean, a lot of, mm -hmm. I think people don't realize a lot of the bourbons and ryes that you're drinking out there in the United States are actually coming from Indiana and not Kentucky. Necessarily, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the fun thing. I don't know if it's the fun thing or the challenge about the spirit industry. And there's a lot of uh, people, producers that are making uh, products that aren't necessarily made at that facility. So. Mm -hmm. And, and now we're going to double down again. I'm yeah. like, I just called out the rye. Now I've got a glass of rye yeah. in front of me. I love so this. This, <laughs> this rye whiskey you're about to enjoy will be launched here in the next couple months. Uh, it's proofed at 105. So back to that, uh, we are getting a little higher in proof there. Uh, but it's 100% rye. So you said um, you, when we were talking about the proof um, that you're putting in the bottle, you said these are more of like a cocktail spirit. Um, so are you coming at it as bartenders or just cocktail enthusiasts? Because I know that you reached out to us, you know, as a, a potential, obviously a potential client. Mm -hmm. um, is that who you're you're marketing towards at the moment, or are you pivoting now towards the bottle shop? You know, I mean, what's the impetus behind this? Like you said again, because you were aiming for that cocktail spirit. Yeah, so rum and gin definitely cocktail spirit can be enjoyed by itself as well. But um, when we transition over into the the barrel aged products. Uh, okay. it, there's a lot more, uh, I'd call them maybe bourbon or whiskey nerds out there that enjoy mm -hmm. drinking um, spirit straight. So mm -hmm. uh, it, with that rye, Ooh, it's yeah. really nice just by itself <laughs> as well, <laughs> but won't get lost in a cocktail at 105 proof. Yeah, that'd make a hell of a Manhattan man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or yeah, Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, those spice notes are really, really nice. Mm -hmm. Or uh, Sazerac with that yeah, absinthe that you have on the table. Yeah, and I absolutely mm -hmm. enjoyed that absinthe. I, I will have to say, like, there's... Sazerac will be on I've the gotten, menu. I've gotten to a point, like, now where I can I can drink it. I'm okay with it. But my preference is to avoid it in, in amounts larger than a few drops. <laughs> but, I mean, I drank that. You poured me about a half an ounce. I drank it. It was, it was really nice. There's, yeah, thank the, you. The, the sweetness kind of takes a little bit of the weird edge off, but it's super nice licorice, like, <laughs> really coats the tongue. The it's whole nice. creation between, between the rye and the absinthe was for in-house Sazeracs. Really? Yep. So, like, these, these yep, two that's products That's my favorite were, cocktail. So, mm -hmm. that's yep. awesome. I mean, that's a yep. really good... <laughs> so, you've been drinking Sazeracs? Well, shit, dude, you're, mm -hmm. like, young. But, I mean, how long have you been drinking Sazeracs? Uh, where did you get turned on to them from? Like, college? I don't know. You had the coolest, <laughs> <laughs> the coolest <laughs> friends in college. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's actually, that's pretty cool that you created two booze uh, or two bottles of booze based strictly just so you can make your own cocktail. And with the law here in Indiana and everything going on, you have to make all your spirit in-house. We can't okay. source spirit. We couldn't source absinthe to make the Sazerac. You'd have to make it here. So you really had no choice. If you wanted to drink an ab, or I'm sorry, a Sazerac at work, you had to make the absinthe. Yeah. No, no choice. Mm -hmm. yep. well, that's interesting. Uh, so you've now built this bar and, and I mean, it, it's actually not a tasting room. I mean, this is a bar. Either you've got a bar top, you've got tables, um, you're open to the public and it's a bottle shop as well. But so you can't sell beer. You can't sell any other alcohol. I mean, it, literally everything has to be produced here on site. Yeah. Correct. All alcohol that we and we can't produce beer or wine here. So, but so every spirit that we make is made right on the other side of the glass. Okay. Or every spirit that we consume here right. is made on the other side of the glass. Yeah. So has that created any con sort of confusion? I know that uh, breweries are really big here in Indianapolis, mm -hmm. and we and you've got a brewery here in the building, Centerpoint. Um, we'll have to get them on the show sometime. They've been they're great they've guys. Been oh, great yeah. customers yeah. of mine for like mm -hmm. a decade. Uh, I need to get them on the show, but. Um, yeah, so I mean, is there any I, I, brewing? Brewing, Jesus! <laughs> this is why. This is what happens when you keep bringing me like samples of every every uh, alcohol that I mention. Um, but brewing has become so, like just synonymous with like opening a new business downtown. I feel like like oh, I'm going to open a, a brewery. Mm -hmm. Of course you are. Like you and the other 700 people this year that have you know licenses out for that. So I could see there being some level of confusion for people that just kind of go out once a week and they grab a Bud Light or, but they want to check out the new local place. Mm -hmm. Is, have you encountered anything like that? Yeah, the last six months of the cocktail bar being open, we, I think we answered that question once a day at least. Uh, really? The, just the, here in Indianapolis, at least the, the brewery presence, the brewery scene is very much known. Distilling is not necessarily as well known. So it's, it's this early education part that's really neat to us and we're fascinated to help teach the industry about what we're doing here. I mean, how do you do that? What steps do you take to educate people about like craft distilling while they're actually in here hanging out, chilling, mm -hmm. having a cocktail, having, having a Sazerac soon, <laughs> hopefully. Now they're super yes. secret Sazeracs because you can't buy the rye or the absinthe yet. But, so if you come in to eighth day, order the super secret Sazerac. <laughs> just uh, don't even on, put it on the on menu the, ever again. I'm just, I'm trademarking it's that. It's never going on the menu. <laughs> yeah. Called the Ed Special. <laughs> super secret Sazerac. Say that. To answer your question about how we're educating, we're doing tours. We're starting to do some tours to see, show people how we are different than the brewery. Uh, while we do a lot of similar things, there's 
numerous differences we're doing too. And then also just uh, being transparent through the windows, like no pun intended, but no, just, literally and yeah, figuratively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just to show people where we're storing our barrels and, and what we're doing and how it, how a brewery and a distillery, while they look similar, are very distinctly different in some of the equipment that we are using. Is most of your production done during the hours where people are in here or during off hours? Off hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. A little bit easier to go uh, undisturbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can't really have any uh, tours going on while you could potentially contaminate a batch. Um, no, we've Is done that some not really an issue? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Not, yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, there, but just. I, mean, I guess it, once you're in the still, there's not much going to make it through the vapor. Right. So it, when we are, we do some tours while we are actually distilling, which is really neat because people mm -hmm. actually understand hey, this is different. I don't see this machine being used in a brewery or you just machine. I call it a machine, it's a still. But it, do you find neat. people are confused about the way a column still works? I know that I, a lot of people that I encounter um, are really confused by the concept behind a column still and, and the plates. Do uh, you mind giving us a quick rundown for our listeners out there that would like, are, as they look at a still? I know, but you've got to. By do you it. saying column still, I'm still confused. <laughs> right, I don't know 100% how it works. Right, we've yeah. got a pot still, but there's oh, so Jesus. much going on. <laughs> well, ours is kind of a hybrid. Still. Yeah, it's got a hybrid, hybrid yeah. right? Yeah, hybrid yeah, yeah. Column pot I don't have my glasses on, I can see damn plates from right here. Yeah. I was there's like, don't be fucking with me, man. Too much absinthe. You have plenty of absinthe. Um, but is that do you to get into that much of the discussion with the with the tours the tour groups going through or do you kind of just try to superficially educate about craft spirits in general? Right now, where we are, we're talking about craft spirits and we're talking about how the still kind of works. Uh, we're we're not necessarily breaking it down between what the column does and what the pot does, but just generally of of what the true differences is and how distillation works of mm -hmm. alcohol boiling off uh, the distiller's beer at a different temperature than water. Would. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we leave it. Um, we're definitely open to side conversations or questions when people ask. Uh, we'll take the time to talk to them. But just for the general tour, uh, it's more of, you know, how does the still work? Sure. Mm -hmm. I find that those conversations really are confusing for a lot of people all the time. Mm -hmm. So as you guys are scaling up, you know, well, what's next? What's next for Eighth Day Distillery? Are you taking over the world? Is that the plan? Mason, you're like, no, not no, taking over the world, just, over the uh, world. just finishing this damn absinthe. <laughs> uh, what's next for Eighth Day is continuing to educate the Indianapolis market. We're Indianapolis-based distillery, and there's a lot of awesome opportunity to be had to do collaborations with other breweries and restaurants of, of what we're doing and kind of ingrained in that local culture. Uh, Any plans to uh, distribute out of state, or is that not even on the radar at the moment? Uh, that's definitely an aspiration, but it's not necessarily on the, the near radar mm -hmm. by any means. I think there's a lot of fun to be had here in Indianapolis and Indiana, per se, before we even think about going across state lines. I know we've got goofy laws here in Indianapolis, or I'm sorry, in Indiana, about ordering alcohol online, but can people buy alcohol online from you? Can you ship it? I don't I don't really even know. No, <laughs> like, I can't. I, I should yeah. know these things, but all I know is no. I can't fucking buy it yeah. online, which sucks. You yep. can buy it on Sunday now, but not online. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, we're really yeah. edgy. <laughs> yeah. Super edgy. New age, right? <laughs> yeah. We've got them. We jumped straight into the 21st century 20 that, years late. Yeah, that was just last year, wasn't it? That yeah. Yeah. Sunday sales came about. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are really confused by that. So um, to any of our listeners out there that are outside of the country or outside of the United States, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Indiana. outside of Indiana. That's what I meant, outside mm -hmm. of Indiana. Like up until very recently, we're one of the very few states that would not allow you to buy alcohol on a Sunday unless you were at a bar. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't. Even do carry out, I don't think. I couldn't I, take nope, it to yeah, go. Um, not on Sunday. Which is the stupidest mm -hmm. shit ever. Mm -hmm. You know, and I 
think the restaurant lobby, and I was not part of that, but I think that probably had a lot to do with it because, I mean, sports bars make a ton of money on Sundays. Yeah, where else are you going to go? Right, exactly. Yeah. You've got no other choices, but sucks on a Saturday, and you have to plan ahead. Yep. Um, and I never do. I mean, of course, you know, for myself, like I've got bottles around, you know, I've got tons of rum hanging around. But when I was younger, uh, it was it was tough going like, hey, let's go grab a case of beer. Ah, uh, it's Sunday. Not doing it. So, yeah, that's um, it's a very foreign concept to a lot of people outside of Indianapolis or, or Indiana. But. Uh, yeah, we we jumped straight into the twenty first century. We're there. We're yeah. there. Mm-hmm. We're there. Almost uh, mm-hmm. twenty twenty, but mm-hmm. we got there. <laughs> and even even small scale distillation. I mean, when did the first permits go out on that? Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. That was so. That yeah. was when you concept of this place. Yeah. So as soon as that, you knew exactly what you wanted to do immediately. That sounds to me like somebody that makes moonshine or made moonshine. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> uh, so the, talk about Indiana laws and being goofy here, the artisan permit here in Indiana. Still, when you pull your artisan permit to do what we're doing today, you have to wait 18 months before you would even have a cocktail bar, bottle shop, uh, consumer public facing opportunities to sell. So you could do production only up to Production and distribution. So okay. you can sell to bars, restaurants, or liquor stores, but you can't invite the general public in to have a cocktail on site or tastings. That makes no sense. You What's have right? to so be an established winery, brewery, or distillery for 18 months before mm-hmm. you can get your artisan distillery permit. I wonder what the thinking is behind that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> yeah, we're I, all like, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't understand the concept behind it. So just here in Indiana, that that's another barrier, just the, the federal barrier we talked about earlier, but even the here in Indiana and distilling be such, being such a like an infancy stage. Right. Um, and we talked about- Yeah, five brew. years, not even five years since yeah. permits went out, right? So and Since permits went out, and then you still have to wait that 18 months before mm-hmm. you even talk to the general consumer that's coming in that you can give tours to, to have them enjoy your product on site. Everything else is going through a bar, restaurant, or liquor store. So that's even the, the harder perception is when most people think about a distillery being a brewery, or breweries are more well-known here in Indianapolis. Like, uh, it's just another barrier. Is to there entry. a limit, as there is with uh, small-scale breweries, as to how much you can produce before you get kicked into a different uh, class of licensing and permitting? Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't recall yeah, I right like, off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. A lot is more it? than we produce now and sure. will for a while. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. almost 7,000 square feet. I'm sure you could scale up as much as you need. <laughs> <Yeah. it. laughs> I've seen mm-hmm. distilleries much smaller than this. But yeah, I mean, you've got a little bit of room to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you have any idea? Is there like a fantasy project for you, Mason, that like you haven't even like breach the subject with Matt yet. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like the super into this weird thing. Yeah, like I'm super into this weird thing and I really want to make it. Cause I mean, like I said, that launching into an absinthe right, right off the bat, um, that's a little bit different as well. And I know there's the place in Bloomington's doing some stuff. Um, so like every distillery seems to have like these passion projects from the distiller. Obviously the absinthe is one for you, but anything you haven't, uh, you haven't even like mentioned yet. But now, or now you get your Sazerac. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. The super secret Sazerac. <laughs> anything you'd uh, like to see, Matt? What's next? The spirit-wise? I don't know. Is there um, anything you're like, what's your, what do you drink when you're, when you're off work, man? A lot of beer. Hmm? <laughs> um, you no, just walk over to the brewery. Yeah, right? go to the, yeah, go to the brewery. I drink more beer than I do spirits. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like it all. I yeah. like it all when I'm off work. Um, but what I would love to do in Indiana-based Amaro would be really fun. Uh, where we're going with that, I, I'm not exactly sure, and what the flavor profile would be. 
but uh, it would be really neat just to do some kind of like Amaro, and that's a, a spirit that's not necessarily well well adverse or well known or, or what it is. Yeah, but, man, and there's, I mean, obviously a lot of the Amari, um, which is plural yeah. folks, not mm-hmm. Amaros, um, <laughs> not Amari. Amari that we're getting um, is coming from House Alpins. Uh, <laughs> we've had Jake Parrott on the show t- uh, twice now, I believe. Um, but man, I had one last night from House Alpins, and bitter as fuck doesn't even like start to, to explain this stuff. I mean, it was um, Nova Salus or Salus Nova Salus. Um, I'm, I'm sure Jake Parrott will email or comment on whatever uh, we post up here at some point. But um, this shit is bitter as fuck. I even, like. I think I was on Aster. Uh, on, on their website yesterday because I was trying to find some descriptions of this. I'm like, who the fuck buys this stuff? Yeah. This is insane. Who's it, buying this? It tastes like bile. I mean, yeah. on the nose, it's very floral and really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, man, on the on the palate, it's quite bitter. And so I immediately like tagged Southern Teague and like Jake Barrett and Lee Edwards <laughs> on him. Like, come on, like I, I need to know about but, this stuff because it is, it's, it's quite bitter. And so when you're reaching out to do things like that, I mean, are you springing that on your brother? You're like, by the way, you're going to distill it tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, fuck you. I, 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 I wanted you to give him the gotcha moment. That's going on, man. Totally opposite direction. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> Welcome to your new life. Tomorrow. Uh, but it's funny you say that because when Mason was R&Ding the absence, he was doing different things. And uh, I think he sprung a gotcha moment on me at one time. Um, you can probably go into it exactly what potential were into it but on the nose it smelled very nice but then on the palate it was extremely I don't even know how to describe it but bitter true bit like you just wanted to get it out of your mouth as fast as you put it in your mouth <laughs> it's called wormwood yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and which a necessary component to absinthe right it is. It's, it's, it's kind of like juniper and gin right like you yep. have to have it in there if it's going to be called absinthe yep mm-hmm. yeah so, that's yeah. um and then another Did you overdo it on the first batch? <laughs> uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. hey, t- talking a little bit about absinthe though too is uh, that woodworm the thujone that comes through it. Like yeah. we the feds actually had us send bottles to them for samples to make sure that we were under the the parts per million of really? the, the so they're still perpetuating this that's interesting it has to because to be under 10 parts per million detectable thujone content. In really? your finished product. Yep. So they're still super, super concerned out. about this. That's, yep. that's yeah. insane because mm-hmm. we obviously were, you know, uh, absinthe was banned in the United States for so long because of the presence of Thujon and um, the hallucinogenic compound mm-hmm. for all those decades. But there's no way, man. And, and what's the what's the proof on your absinthe? I know you haven't like settled on it. So, right. So, and the ones I've had are in similar range, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You, by the time you could consume enough Wormwood to hallucinate, you would already be in the hospital from alcohol poisoning. Yep. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Right. You'd be on the floor somewhere. But that's funny. That's the first I've heard of that. I didn't realize they were still really policing that so hardcore about the Thujun. Yeah. Technically, if that would be Thujun free. Their threshold <laughs> for detecting it is under 10 parts per million. 10 parts per million. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised we don't have to put that on our label, Thujun free. I think it's a new thing. We don't have to on that label. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, right. Wait till we get another one. Yeah, wait, we'll wait till they open back up. They'll change their minds. <laughs> right, yeah. When the government reopens, mm-hmm. gluten free, Thujun free. <laughs> now without hallucinations. Hallucinations. It is gluten free. It's corn based. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> well, this has been pretty so, fun, guys. I mean, I, I don't get a, a chance to often come out to, to local distilleries because a lot of our uh, episodes are kind of based around you know who's flying through town or or driving through town or where we're going and 
I know you and I mostly meet up um, in one of my restaurants, but it's, mm-hmm. it's cool. Like I don't get to ever see Mason because he's always back there distilling something. Yep. Or, or, or fermenting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hand in hand. R and Ding something. R and D. More Ring, less Ding. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these products come out. So you said, uh, so we're in the end of January right now. So mm-hmm. in the bottle shop and uh, bar here now, you're going to soon be able to get the rye. You said. Uh, yeah. So right now, into January, we've got our house rum, our house gin. Mm-hmm. We've got that collaboration gin we or collaboration rum we did with Sun King. We also have our bourbon. But here in the next couple months, um, I think March time frame, we'll have that rye that you just tasted, mm-hmm. along with uh, hopefully some absinthe will be on the shelf so you by can then. Get those Sazeracs, mm-hmm. the super secret Sazeracs. And th- we are also doing a fun gin that we did with uh, Centerpoint down the way. So oh, you did do a collaboration yeah, with Centerpoint yeah, Brewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so now that you say that, oh, we'll pour it. you a little sample. <laughs> so that gin that, that's is... That's the problem is these samples you guys are pouring are like an ounce per each sample. I'm like, not, these are not tasters. We have good company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to work today, guys. <laughs> Ooh, that's nice. Do you want to talk about that one a little bit? He's like, no. no not really. I just want to serve it. <laughs> That was a gin that uh, we took our house gin recipe a little bit. Mason added some hops to it that we got from Centerpoint and then rested it in a barrel that uh, once had a pale ale in it for about four months. So it's got this fun little balance of yeah, barrel Yeah, it's got a little notes. bit of like the pininess, but uh, mm-hmm. also like the sweetness, kind of like an old time sweetness. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah, the it's, barrel um, notes. Yeah, it's really gave br- it kind of like that old time. So when you guys are, are making these spirits, and I know we keep saying we're going to wrap up and we keep going, but you know, um, I mean, you're serving cocktails here. Like, what are the what are the go to go to cocktails here in house? Because you've got a pretty wide palate, mm-hmm. but then of course you expand that out with juices, syrups, etc. So I mean, what are the what are the drinks that people are typically coming in and asking for? Or do you have a menu that you're trying to focus them on? Yeah, we do have a menu. So uh, when we first launched here six months ago or so, we kind of launched with um, some classic staples. Uh, but now we're in our fourth menu iteration and it's, it's kind of evolving, changing, getting a little more elaborate and just teaching or educating our consumers about what cocktails are. But they all trying to do spirit forward cocktails so that people really get a handle on that. So you can uh, like, a, you know, I, of course, as a rum geek, I always go to a daiquiri when I'm trying a new rum because I can automatically, you know, kind of assess the rum because I know what lime juice and sugar tastes like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you doing that the same thing with with your uh, gins as well? Like doing a lot of uh, gin and tonics, like you mentioned. Yep, gin and tonics, um, daiquiris was on the first menu too, and then we're we're taking the, those recipes as well, and then kind of. Uh, elaborating on them, adding a little bit more stuff or pulling back a little bit more. So with a person that's coming in and out each day, I can see how it's evolving and how easy cocktails can kind of be to make at home. Uh, Mom taught you how to make cookies and brownies, but not necessarily cocktails and to make a killer cocktail at home. He's looking inside. I did yeah. you get taught how to make booze? <laughs> I taught myself. <laughs> well, you guys need to make an orange liqueur so I can come over and have my ties. I'm like, you know, we're just one hop, skip, and jump away. Yeah. Hey. Give me your recipe. I'll make it for you. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, hey, man, I am. I got to get back to work, and I've got to fly out to New York here. So, um, or wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm in New York. <laughs> this is Wednesday from the future. Um, yeah, so where can people find you guys online? EighthDayDistillery.com. Is that um, spelled out or just the letter? Uh, the number eight. The letter eight. Yep, Jesus, the, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to Sesame Street now. Hold on. I didn't catch my Saturday morning cartoons in Sesame Street this morning. Again, it must be the absence. Is, the, yeah, level, is, right? the, yeah. is this more than 10 parts per million? <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like it. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, the number eight, T-H-D-A-Y, distillery.com, uh, Instagram and Facebook. You can catch up on what we're doing there as well, so give us a follow. Um, and your website is eighth day, is it distilling or distillery? Distillery, eighthdaydistillery.com. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, Matt, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Mason, um, glad you sat down with us and, and were able to tell us a little bit about your, uh, your you know, Conceptualizing your R and D, and for pouring all the glasses of booze. I'm God. We're up to like I think what eleven. We got eleven glasses now on the table. Twelve. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I appreciate it, guys, and we look forward to having you guys back on the show again soon. I'm gonna definitely swing back by uh, in the near future for one of those super secret Sazeracs. Sounds great. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for. I'm only mm. saying that to prove that I have not actually reached the point of drunkenness yet. Like, <laughs> you can still say super secret Sazeracs. You're, you're That's tongue twisted. <laughs> <laughs> Three times fast. Excellent, guys. Well, hey, uh, look forward to seeing you guys again, and cheers. Cheers. Cheers.